Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's good to worship with you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Grace Hill Church. So if this is your first time, I just want to welcome you. Um, We're so glad that you're here. This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, please go ahead, open that up to Mark 2. Mark is a, one of the Gospels, an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And so we're gonna read about an encounter that Jesus had in just a few minutes in Mark 2. And we always have the wor- words on the screen behind me. You can use a phone app as well if that's what you wanna do. All of that uh, is perfectly fine. Um, but this June, uh, my wife and I will celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Um, but we uh, dated for six and a half years before that. So that would have mean we, have, we would have been a couple for 16 and a half years, which blows my mind um, a little bit. But one of the things that I love to do um, when it comes to my relationship with Kim is I love to pull off the epic surprise. All right, an epic surprise in my book is 100% shock value, meaning no clue it came. If there's any sort of clue it was coming, um, then it's not an epic surprise. And so over the last 16 and a half years, I have been able to pull off three of these. All right, so I'll tell you about all three real fast. The first one uh, was when we were in college. And so uh, both of us were back home here in Northern Virginia. This is where we grew up. And uh, the reason was because the next morning, Kim was about to jump on a flight because she was going to study abroad in Greece. And so we were saying goodbye to each other, and then I had to jump in the car and drive back to school because I had class early in the morning the next day. And she was going to jump on the plane in the morning at Dulles, fly to JFK, and she had a 10-hour layover at JFK, and then she was going to jump on a plane to go over to Athens, and she was a little nervous about spending 10 hours by herself at JFK. And so I remember saying goodbye to her, and I'm driving back to school about two hours away from here, and it just dawned on me. Like, I'm not driving to school. I'm driving all night to New York City. So I turned the car, and I I started driving straight to New York City. I skipped all of my classes. The next morning, I lied to my parents about where I was. (laughs) I accidentally picked up the phone in Times Square, and it was my dad on the other line. I was like, why did I answer that call? Um, and I drove straight to JFK, and so when she got off the plane, I was there. I actually uh, scared her a little bit. That was a regrettable thing. I kind of snuck up behind her and spooked her, and that was stupid. <laughs> but, um, but completely surprised her, and we, we spent the day at JFK Airport together. Uh, the second one was during our first year of marriage. Um, what I did is I, I lied to my wife, and I, I told her I was going out of town with some buddies to South Carolina to... Uh, Four-wheel, that's what I came up with, to go four-wheeling. And, um, but I really, what I had done is I had actually uh, purchased a puppy from a breeder down in South Carolina. So I drove down there, uh, spent overnight, picked up this puppy and brought her back. And uh, it was a Saturday night, she was working. And so when she came home that night, I was there with a puppy and it just like, it's like perfect. Like, guys, if you can do that for your wife. It costs a lot later when you have to take care of the dog. But... Um, the last one was two years ago, our eighth anniversary. Um, I organized a four-night trip to the Florida Keys for us and got childcare all worked out four nights in a row for two toddlers. That's not an easy feat. And, you know, hid all the finances from her so she wouldn't see that I was spending money on this. 
And uh, the night before we flew out, you know, came to her and says, hey, you have a few hours to pack because we're going to hit the airport early in the morning. And that was, that was a pretty epic surprise for her. But when it comes to surprises, for, for me, it's all about the shock value. It's only successful if the person had no idea it was coming. I am willing to do whatever it takes to pull off this epic surprise. And when you think about that attitude, a whatever it takes attitude, what that means is that one is willing to do things they normally would not do, they are willing to sacrifice things they normally would not sacrifice in order to pull off whatever they're trying to do. So for me, in order to pull off these surprises, I had to do things I normally don't do, like lie to people I love and spend maybe more money than I should have or drive all night or do something like that because I was willing to do whatever it takes to pull off these surprises. And as we continue in our series that we're in right now, Joy Over One, I want us to think about what it would look like to have this kind of attitude, a whatever-it-takes attitude, when it comes to our faith. The Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so as a part of this series that we've been in, Joy Over One, All of us have been challenged, we have challenged ourselves to pick one person who is in our lives, who lives here locally, who does not know Jesus, and commit to them. Commit that we would pray for them, commit to invite them to church, commit to share the gospel with them. And I want us to consider this morning what it would look like to take a whatever-it-takes approach to creating an encounter between this person and Jesus. To take an approach where we are willing to step out of our comfort zone, to do things we normally would not do, to sacrifice in ways maybe we would normally not sacrifice so this person, our one, can have an encounter with Jesus. And this is why I wanna read Mark 2 together this morning, because in Mark 2, I think we read a story of a group of people who were willing to do anything, whatever it takes, to get their friend in front of Jesus. And so, if you have Mark 2, go ahead and open that up, and uh, we'll read verses 1 to 12 together. Uh, In Mark chapter 2, we're towards the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. So he had just returned to Capernaum, which was a town that he was living in, in the the area of Galilee. And uh, the text says that he goes to his house. Now, this could be the house that Jesus was staying in, the house of one of his disciples. We're really not sure. But Jesus is in this house, and he's teaching God's word, and this house is so crowded, nobody could get in. And so we're going to read about what happens here. Mark chapter two, verses one to 12. It says this, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, your son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, the religious leaders, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never have seen anything like this. Here's an example of people who were willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. They were willing to do something unconventional. They were willing to do something risky They dug a hole in the roof of someone else's house to get their friend in front of Jesus. I mean, how would you react if you were the owner of that home? And some person was there teaching God's word and it was so crowded no one could get in and someone wanted to get in to hear the word of God so they just jumped through a window or they smashed a hole in your roof and and rappelled down. You probably would be a little annoyed at that if you were the owner of this home. So these guys did whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus, and that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to create encounters with Jesus for others? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to create an encounter between Jesus and my one? And so as we think about this along with Mark 2, I have three points I want us to take away from Mark chapter two together. Here's here's point number one. Point number one is this. Our job, our job is to do whatever it takes to create encounters with Jesus for others. That's our job. Look at verse four with me again. It says, and when they, that's the four men, could not get near him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. See, in this text, the men carrying this paralytic wanted their friends to encounter Jesus, but they ran into a problem. The house was too crowded. They couldn't get close to Jesus. And so they had a reason to tell their friend, hey, sorry, man, we are too late today. Let's try again some other time. They had an out. They hit an obstacle and they could have easily made an excuse, but these guys were willing to do whatever it takes. So they were not going to be stopped by some obstacle in their way because they loved their friend. And they knew that this guy, he needs Jesus, not tomorrow, not the next day, he needs him right now. And they were willing to get him in front of Jesus no matter the cost. They were willing to do what they normally would not do. They were willing to sacrifice. And this is our job too to do whatever it takes to get people in front of Jesus. Now, obviously, 
Jesus is no longer with us physically. He has ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And so you're not gonna run into a situation where you need to literally tear a hole in a roof and lower someone in front of Jesus. Our job is not to get someone physically before Jesus. Our job is to deliver the message that Jesus gave to us to deliver, that he commissioned the church to go out and preach to the nations. And so what does that look like today? For us to do whatever it takes to get this message to people. And so I have two things that we need to be willing to do if we want this whatever it takes attitude. All right, so here's the first one. If we wanna have a whatever it takes attitude, we need to be willing to overcome personal discomfort. You know, I imagine uh, when those four guys were carrying their friend to the house and they realized that the house is gonna be too crowded, they weren't gonna get their friend in front of Jesus, that there was one guy in the group, because there's always this guy in the group, uh, who was like, oh, guys, I have an idea. Who, all right, we're gonna need shovel, rope, and a sheet, and we'll get this done. Right now, I, I don't know, this, is not, this isn't in the Bible, this is all speculation. But I also imagine there was a guy in the group, because there's always this guy in the group too, who was like, no, wait, no, you dig a hole in the roof? Like, what if the owner gets mad? What if like stuff falls and hits people in the face? What if we drop him on the ground as we're lowering it? Like, we're not gonna tear a hole in some other guy's roof. There's probably the cautious guy in the group and there was probably the guy who was just overly ambitious in the group. But no matter what it was, these guys had to make the decision that they were gonna overcome the obstacle. They were gonna overcome the discomfort not make an excuse, and get their friend in front of Jesus. Many of us are really uncomfortable with the idea of talking to other people about our faith or even maybe inviting someone to church. We'll think about it, we'll consider it because we feel like we should, but if an obstacle comes up, if an easy excuse comes up for us, for us not to do it, I think we're really quick to, to take it. You know, we could hurt somebody if we tear a hole in the roof. The owner might get mad at us. I, really, I had a really long day at work today. I'm just tired. I want to I wanna go veg and kind of be in my home. I don't know what to say. I don't think my neighbor really wants me to talk to him about this stuff. I think that would make him uncomfortable. Ah, oh, you're not supposed to talk about this stuff in the workplace that's frowned upon. I'll wait till we naturally run into each other and maybe we'll see if a conversation starts, but I'm not gonna initiate. You know, I'll, I'll just drop some hints that I'm a Christian and if they're really interested, they'll come to me and talk to me about it. But doing whatever it takes means that it's going to cost us something. It, it means stepping out of our comfort zone and doing the unconventional. It means doing things we normally don't do. And so we need to ask ourselves, at what point does my whatever it takes attitude turn into a, anything but that attitude? At what point do we say, I'm not gonna dig a hole in the roof. That's crazy. Who does that? And so having a whatever it takes attitude means we need to be willing to overcome personal discomfort. We need to be willing to say, I normally wouldn't do this, but I need to do whatever it takes to get this message to my one. And the second thing we need to be willing to do, if we want to have a whatever it takes attitude, 
is we need to be willing to be proactive, intentional, okay? If we are willing to do whatever it takes to create an encounter with Jesus for others, that means we need to proactively take the time and put in the mental effort to intentionally plan to do this. We have to, we have to do that. And so here's what I mean. It's not likely that your neighbor, your coworker, your one, whoever that is, is going to be the one to initiate a conversation with you about Jesus. That's unlikely. Pray it happens because it's great, but it's unlikely. It's not likely that if you put a fish on your car or talk about your church plans for the weekend or pray before your meal at lunch with a coworker that your coworker's gonna drop his fork in front of you and say, tell me what I need to do to be saved. It would be amazing if that occurred, so pray for that. And take advantage of that, but that's unlikely. That cannot be our strategy. That can't be what we're waiting for to happen because that's not a whatever it takes attitude. That's a passive attitude. And these guys in Mark 2 were not passive. They were proactive. They said, we're going to get this done. And so we need to be intentional and proactive to create an encounter with Jesus for others. So this could be as simple as planning to spend more time with people. Invite your neighbors over for a cookout. Don't wait for them to be the first ones to reach out. You be the first one to reach out. Be intentional about learning the names of the parents of the kids on your kids' sports teams. Remember those names and, and be intentional about talking to them instead of staring at your phone or just being watching your kid. Remember their names and what they say to you so the next week when you see them, you can reinitiate a conversation. Actually show them that you care and you're listening to them. But you need to be intentionally planning to do that when you go to your kids' sports team uh, game. Go to the happy hour with your coworkers if you're able to partake of that responsibly. Be a redemptive presence there. Be a caring presence there. Don't be a gossipy presence like everyone else. You know, one of the um, people that, one of my ones, one of the people that I've committed to is a, a business owner here in Herndon. And so one of the things that I've done is I've put in my schedule intentional time to go to that business and, and be a customer there so I can engage with this person more and more and more. And so last Thursday I was there, I was talking to this person and I invited them to come to our Easter service and, and they're gonna bring our, their whole family to our Easter service. But it took proactive planning, pre-planning in my schedule, in my thoughts to say I'm going to go there for this goal. And so here's the thing about being intentional. It means we have to think about this person beforehand. We have to plan ahead of time. It means we have to be proactive and we have to clear space in our schedule. We have to clear space in our minds. We have to clear space in our budgets. And that may not sound radical, but in our DC culture, that is radical. We are so busy. We fill up every bit of space in our calendars, and then we feel entitled to me time because we're so tired. And maybe one of the most radical things a church in the D.C. area could do is start to say, I'm going to put blank space in my calendar for others. Just spend time with them. Get to know them. 
It's not easy to create margin in our minds, in our schedules, in our budgets. But in order to be intentional, to create encounters with Jesus, this is something we have to do. And I really believe for some of us, doing this would be like equal to ripping a hole in a roof. It would be crazy for us to start to live a lifestyle, change our lifestyle in this way. I wanna brag on my wife for a little bit, if I can. She's leading our family to do something that's pretty proactive. I wanted to share with you an intentional way to reach out to our neighbors. So we live at the entrance to a cul-de-sac. And one of the things we've noticed, because we just moved into this house in December, is that uh, a lot of, there's a lot of kids in our neighborhood and a lot of the parents congregate in front of our house because it's a good place to stand, watch your kids play in the cul-de-sac and police the cars as they come down the street to make sure we slow the cars down. And so my wife has this idea. She wants us, she, we went to Lowe's and we bought a uh, wooden picnic table. She's painting it a bright turquoise color and she's putting it right in the front lawn right where those parents congregate. And she wants to start putting plates of cookies out, a pot of coffee, maybe some flowers, because she wants to create a space where our neighbors can come and sit, talk to one another, engage, and the vision behind the whole thing is maybe this could be a place where encounters with Jesus could occur. It's an amazing idea. Oh, but that takes intentionality and and planning. Maybe here's another thing you could do to be proactive and intentional. Uh, We have these Easter invitation cards uh, out there in the lobby. I have one right here. Right, this little green Easter, because we're doing our Easter on the green, an outdoor service for Easter in two weeks uh, out on the Hernan Town Green. Here's one thing you could do. Go grab a stack of them. We have a 1,000 of them out there. All right, so go, go grab 50 of them or 25 or however many you want after the service. Go home, bake some cookies Or if you can't do that, go buy some cookies and then buy some Ziploc bags or baggies or something like that. Put cookies in them, put an invitation in them and go to your neighbor next week, knock on their door and say, hey, happy Easter. I wanted to invite you to my church's Easter service. And you have cookies there. So no one's gonna get mad at you for that, I promise. But listen, I know that that sounds countercultural. Oh man, like knocking on my neighbor's door. No one does that anymore. But here's the thing, it's, this, takes, this is something you can plan to do right now, and I think you'll be surprised at who will take you up on it. I think you'll be surprised at who will, it'll be very meaningful to them that you would have thought of them beforehand and invited them to come out. So that's something you, you can plan today to do that, right? Make a grocery list, put the time in your account, like take your phone out, put the time in your schedule, and you can do it. But here's all I'm trying to challenge you with. It takes intentionality. It takes planning. It takes preparation. Our job is to do whatever it takes to create encounters with Jesus for others. And it means overcoming some personal discomfort, and it means being proactive. And that's what we've been called to do. But let me encourage you with this. It's point number two. I want to encourage you with this. Point number two is this. Jesus honors the faith of those who do whatever it takes. Uh, Verse five in our scripture, Mark chapter two, verse five. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Look what it says. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, that's plural, right? 
This is in the Greek too, that's plural. So when Jesus saw their faith, he's looking at the four men who just lowered this guy before him. When he saw their faith, or I'm sure he was looking up, when he saw their faith, verse five says, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus honors the faith of those who, does, who do whatever it takes. I'll never forget uh, about a year and a half ago, um, one of our members here at Grace Hill had a family member, older family member who was dying of leukemia. And this guy was not a believer, but his wife was. And, and as he was getting closer to death, um, his wife begged him to, to let some people come over and pray over him and share Jesus with him. And he was hesitant because he wasn't a believer, but she was so persistent and he could sense that, man, this really meant a lot to her. And so because he loved her, he said, okay, fine, sure. I would, I'd be happy to let some people come over and pray over me and, and we can talk about Jesus, sure. And so one night, me and a few other people from our church went over there and we talked to him about Jesus and we prayed over him. And before this guy arrived, though, that night when we were at the house waiting for him to get there, I, I took out Mark chapter two and I read this verse to everybody in the family. And we sat there and we prayed and we said, God, and I prayed, God, would you honor the faith of this family who so badly want this guy to know Jesus before he passes away? And they're doing whatever it takes so this guy can encounter Jesus. And that's what we prayed for. And that night, he was really antagonistic to the gospel. Nicest guy. He was really nice, really funny, but he just thought we were straight up crazy for believing what we believe. And he wasn't afraid to tell us. We had a good time with him. We prayed over him. And a few weeks later, less than 24 hours before he died, he surrendered his life to Christ. I believe God honored the faith of that family who labored so this guy would know Christ. And I believe Jesus honors our faith when we love someone so much that we're willing to do whatever it takes for them to encounter Jesus. I know it's hard to overcome personal discomfort to tell others about Jesus, but I believe Jesus honors our willingness to overcome that. And that doesn't mean that every person we share with Jesus with will believe, but I do believe it means if we begin to take this seriously and we begin to live a life of doing whatever it takes to share Christ with people that we will see incredible things happen. I mean, I long for the day where we begin to see baptism after baptism after baptism here because God saw the faith of his church and decided to let his spirit loose in saving people. Man, there is nothing that will revitalize your joy in Christ, nothing that will jumpstart your faith if you're feeling like it's lagging. Like taking a step of faith, sharing Christ with someone, and then a few weeks later, you get to get on your knees along with me as we baptize that person because they're publicly declaring Jesus as their savior. When you see that, nothing will invigorate your faith like that. Seeing God work, seeing how God has used you, seeing how you overcame some personal discomfort, you did whatever it takes and God honored that. I want that for you. I want that for me, I want that for this church. I really believe that when that begins to happen in a church, that that's when things really start to grow. That's when things, ministry really begins to occur because people are just so invigorated by seeing God work and saving people. 
And here's point number three. We'll end with this. Point number three is Jesus' job is to do whatever it takes to save. Point number one was our job is to do whatever it takes to create encounters with Jesus. And point three is Jesus' job is to do whatever it takes to save. Look at verses six to 12 with me. It says, now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. These four men went above and beyond to get their friend in front of Jesus, and they had no ability and no authority to save him, to forgive him of his sins, to heal him, and let him be able to walk. No ability to do that. That's obvious. They didn't even think they had the ability to do that. Their job was to get their friend in front of Jesus. Jesus was the one who had the authority and the ability to heal and to save and to forgive. And when we talk about that our job is to do whatever it takes to get people in front of Jesus, we have to understand that we have a savior who was willing to do exactly what it took in order to save and transform the people that we are bringing to him. Jesus was willing to step out of the comfort of his heavenly dwelling with God the Father and not only take on mortal human flesh, but he was willing to step into a broken world full of sin and temptation and pain. Despite living a righteous life, Jesus was willing to be arrested, beaten, spat upon, mocked, and nailed to a cross, all while keeping silent and not defending himself. Even though he had the power and authority to get himself off of that cross and end the pain and end the agony, and even though people were mocking him, saying if he was truly God, if he really had all power, he would get himself off the cross, he stayed on it. Because he was willing to do whatever it takes. Despite never betraying his father, the sin of all of us was placed on him and God the Father turned his back and allowed his son to endure his wrath. And he died and he went into a grave, paying off the debt of the sin that we owe. And he stayed in that grave, paying off that debt of all the sin all the debt that we owe to God, just paying that off, and then when it was all paid off, when it was complete, when it was finished three days later, he rose again from the dead, having accomplished everything that needed to be done so we could be saved, so your one could be saved. 
This is the message that we have been called to deliver to the world and to those who don't know Jesus. This is the message that you have been called to deliver to your one and your job is to do whatever it takes to get the message to him. Not to change it, not to convince their minds and their hearts, not for you to do the transforming work, not for you to figure out a way to package the message in such a way that it would be more palatable for the person you might be delivering it to. That's not our job. Our job is to get them there. Create the encounter because when you get this message to people, you have created an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus' job is to save. Jesus' job is to do the work of forgiveness and reconciliation and transformation in their hearts. You don't have to worry about having the power and ability to change hearts and minds. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to get them in front of Jesus. So here's my question for us this morning. Are we gonna be that guy who at the first obstacle, when it's easy to make an excuse, we say, ah, we're too late, we'll try it next time. Or are we gonna be that guy who says, who's got a shovel and who's got some rope? Let's get this guy in front of Jesus. Let me pray. God, I wanna pray for our church. And God, my prayer right now is very simple. It's that, Lord, you would by your spirit, by your power, through encouragement, that you would help all of us as the people of this church to have a whatever it takes attitude. That you would help us, Lord, to be willing to overcome personal discomfort. That you would help us to be intentional and proactive and to think through ways that we can engage with the people in our lives so that we can tell them about Jesus. We can invite them to come to church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, my prayer is that, Lord, you would honor that. That you would see their faith and do a work in that person's heart. And Lord, you would, through saving them, and Lord, through seeing this person surrender to Christ, and see their life begin to change, Lord, I pray that you would just enliven the faith of the church. That you would just revitalize our joy in you. And as we experience that, Lord, it would become irresistible and we're ready for the next one. And Lord, you would just create a movement of people who are just willing to do whatever it takes for people to know Jesus, Lord, because that's where our joy is found. Lord, we wanna be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus and we believe joy in Jesus is found in surrendering to you, Lord. So use us, use us, Lord, to take this message to people. And God, we pray that you would do a mighty work and bring people to salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.